Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. Uh, and remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing uh, happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not, in Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Okay, Saints, let's talk about this so-called Asbury Revival. Is it really a revival or is it just another fake staged revival. I had my suspicions in my spirit, but then I began to watch this feminized young man preaching, so-called preaching. There was no anointing on it at all. He's using a new version, a corrupted apostate, satanically corrupted, quote-unquote, Bible, which alone tells you that it's apostasy. It's not revival at all. It's it just, it just mind-boggling how gullible people can be today, and they want to defend this so-called revival. Why, why do the people do that? Because let me take a shot at this. Perhaps it's because so many are moral cowards, and they just wait around for somebody else to start a so-called, quote-unquote, revival, because they themselves are too much of a spineless pansy to truly personally repent, lay down their lives in this fleeting world, die to self, take up the cross, and follow Jesus for real. Now, I begin to take this so-called revival to task, and I, I had a lady get really upset. Let me, let me share with you some of the things that she unleashed on me for questioning this so-called revival. And so here's what she wrote to me. You know, women are more susceptible because they seem to tend to be more emotionally based instead of factually based. And that's not a good thing at all. And part of why the Bible says the women are the weaker vessel and that men are to be in eldership over the body of Christ because women can be more easily deceived, as was the case with Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Satan apparently knew that. He attacked the human race through the woman. That doesn't make the woman any less, but women need to be protected. And godly women live by the truth. They say with Apostle Paul, let God be true and every man a liar. And the quicker we start living by truth, biblical truth, and putting everything to the test, the better off it's going to be. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not, this is a command, believe not every spirit, but try or test the spirits, for many false prophets have gone out among you and have deceived many. Okay, beloved, believe not every spirit. That's a command. That is a command. 
Believe not every spirit. Everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is not a true prophet. Most of them are false. The Bible never uses the term many true prophets, but repeatedly it uses language such as many false prophets. Prophets. There are much more, many more percentage of false prophets than there are true of 100% or out of any hundred lot, if you will, of ministers or ministries. I would personally say that probably 90% of them are absolutely false. They're not preaching a cross. They're not preaching repentance. They don't preach the cardinal doctrines of the original Christian faith. And therefore, they're preaching another gospel. Even if they're preaching parts of the Bible, they're preaching another gospel because they're not preaching Christ and him crucified. They're not preaching that he mandates that anybody who will follow him must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. They're not going to preach that John the Baptist, beginning with him, uh, beginning with the prophets, but John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostle Peter, the apostle Paul, all preached. The first word was not even believe, it was repent. Okay, someone recently said that the mortician of hell is the man who refuses to preach on what the Bible, God, calls sin and repentance. I agree 100%. So John the Apostle says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try or test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many, notice the word many, false prophets are going gone out into the world. Then he speaks of the spirit of Antichrist, which is what is influencing and even in certain cases, possessing these false prophets. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, prove, that means test, weigh, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So let's talk about this so-called Asbury revival. We're going to talk a little bit in a minute about the history of fake revivals. But notice this lady took me to task. She says 500 plus people Hey, this is a typical response, and they all just parrot the same thing like any cult or cultic movement. Notice 500-plus people have come to Christ at this revival. Why are Christ followers so judgy about other Christians? Judgment belongs to the Lord, and salvation is a choice. You can't thump people on the head about sin and expect them to listen, unquote. Is that a biblical response from her as she responded to me questioning this so-called revival? Here's my reply. I said, please prove that 500 people got saved. Please prove that to me. Uh, If somebody said it, that doesn't make it true. Uh, You know, everything I've seen and heard about this so-called revival early on here, there's no preaching of repentance. There's no solid preaching at all. I watched this one guy, sorry, but he comes across as a effeminate, which the Bible says no effeminate male will enter into the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. First off, he's reading from a fake new Bible, one of these little fairy tale versions of satanic corruption. That alone tells you it's apostate. Boom! If you don't believe that, put the Bibles side by side and check out how the blood of Jesus was removed. For example, from Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, from many of the new versions, it was removed from really all of them because it came from, they all come from corrupt intentionally by Satan's leading, come from 
corrupted manuscripts. Now, some of them, I notice, have are beginning to add back things into the text. They're very deceitful, the editors of these so-called Bibles. And so what they're doing is ministries like this one and many others are exposing these new fake Bibles. We've got a whole category, Safeguard Your Soul dot com forward slash Bible versions issue or just put in category box on the right. Just go down to the C or sorry, I mean, B Bible versions category. We've got a cache, a huge treasure trove of expose on these fake Bibles where verses like uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 17, 21 are absolutely removed. Romans 8, 1 is chopped in half. Colossians 1, 14, the blood is removed and it talks about in that verse redemption and forgiveness of sin. There is no redemption or forgiveness of sin outside of the blood of a lamb. Hebrews nine twenty two. without shedding of blood is no remission that is of sin. So my response to this lady is please prove that there are there were 500 people say plus saved this revive so-called revival. If so, I said to her. It is in spite of a lack of preaching of repentance. Show us all these words where, or even the concept of this in the Bible where any of Christ's apostles or Christ himself said, you can't thump people on the head about sin and expect them to listen. This person is delusional. They need to get saved. They're not living in realm of truth at all. And I forthrightly told this woman that. See, in God's word, we see this woman to be a heretic because we see that in her definition, uh, one would dare to preach repentance and sin. Why do you need to repent if there's nothing to repent from? Sin and repentance are, and redemption and forgiveness are all knit together inseparably. So in her definition, John the Baptist, who preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Matthew 3, 2. Then Jesus, Matthew 4, 17, the first word also was repent, and his holy apostles preached that men must repent. Acts 2, 38, the day of Pentecost, when the church was born. How did those people come into the church? Because Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, did he was he scared to preach on sin and repentance as that like this lady said he should have been? She would she calls people like the apostles in Christ and John the Baptist Bible thumpers. Okay, we should wear that as a badge of honor. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So how do you receive the remission of sins? You repent. Amen. You repent you must Repent. Acts 17, verse 30. God commandeth all men everywhere to do what? Repent. God commandeth, but now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. There is no salvation outside of repentance. Jesus said, this is the way we appropriate salvation. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is an absolute necessity. And in this Asbury revival, he's not they're not even calling out sin from the Bible, much less a call to repent. So do you really believe 
over 500 people got saved at this so-called revival. I don't believe that for a minute, because how are you going to get saved if you are not hearing the true and original gospel? Saints, let me pause right here to say it is so important that if you follow Christ, you're going to have to get in his word for yourself daily and stop following false prophets and false ministries or even good ministries and not even getting into word yourself. That shows you have not repented and therefore God is not important enough to you study his love letter for yourself. You don't love him if you got time to do everything else frivolously in this world and no time to seek the face of the Lord. You don't know him and you prove that. Those that know him delight in him, they love him and they read his word as if their life depended on it because it does. Okay, so in her definition, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Holy Apostles, they were all Bible thumpers in her negative comment there because they preached to repent. There is no salvation. Nobody's going to get saved unless you repent. You've got to admit that you are a vile sinner who has broken the holy law of God, and you are in need of repentance, and you lay down your life, you surrender, and you surrender. That's a synonymous word, it seems like, with repentance. You turn all the way to God, you turn away from yourself and your sinful life, and you turn all the way to God. But that's not going to happen unless there is biblical preaching when For example, when Peter preached that men must, quote, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He was preaching from the word of God to the Jews. His sermon at Pentecost begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, where Peter is standing up with the eleven, and he lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. Then he goes into leading up where he commands them to repent, to be remitted of their sins. He's preaching Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? See, that's how convicting the preaching under the Holy Spirit and with the word of God was that they asked, they begged him to tell them what they need to do because they were naked and undone when he fired the word of God at them. And one of the things he told them was that they crucified the Lord. And we all know, as they well knew, that the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments. And so these men were convicted of their sin. The answer to what shall we do is to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Again, if there's no repentance preaching, there's not going to be a revival. It's a fake revival on that point alone. It's absolutely a fake revival. Every Every so-called revival that has come along and been made famous has been proven to be absolutely false. And some people carry this pride about attending one of these Florida or these Toronto, Canada fake revivals. They don't have a clue. They need to repent. And your identity, our, our identity needs to be in Christ. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the whereby the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That is your identity. You are, Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live, yet not you, but Christ that liveth in me, the apostle says. 
Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20, Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save, or accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're talking about whether or not this ad- Asbury revival is true. Now, I am i don't have time to dig into this thing with all kinds of depth and stuff like that. You, you, you don't have to dig deep if you know what to look for. Uh, remember, leave not every spirit and understand what we said earlier, which is a biblical fact that there are not many true prophets as many false prophets. So we should go into any so-called revival that's beginning to gain prominence with a suspecting mind, not looking blindly and acting like because people are saying it's a revival, that somehow really is. Now, this ought to give us a clue. One of my friends said this, I heard this Asbury revival, Ethel and Hillsong music, Todd Bentley was showing up or actually commenting on it. One writer said he was reporting on the Asbury's quote-unquote revival and exposing it actually said not a good sign at Asbury he says when Todd Bentley and queer students like your revival unquote that goes back to what I said about the effeminate male that I watched 10-15 minutes of quote-unquote preaching at the Asbury revival I mean it could not be more lame if you want to hear some real preaching as far as people that have lived over the last few decades Okay, you'll find very few today, very few, that are going to give you straight up the raw gospel of Jesus. Uh, but go go to YouTube and look up men like David Wilkerson. You want to hear revival and true preaching? It brings conviction of sin, and that, and that alone is what God absolutely requires that, I should say, to move and to bless. His people who are called by his name will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways. Then and only then is he going to hear the, them and heal their land and bring what we could call a revival. Okay, I'm a little bit leery about revival. I don't think that word even appears in the Bible. The word revive does, and I understand if it's used correctly. But uh, the way it's used today with all these fake revivals is suspect. We have a history. There's a history of fake revivals, some of which I touched on earlier. I'm not going to go into great detail, but you can go to the word revival in the search box on safeguardyoursoul.com and you'll find some detailed expose on some of these fake revivals. Remember, God told his people when they were living in sin, Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In other words, God's power is divine and eternal. It cannot be diminished. That's not the problem. His hearing ear and his love for his people is not diminished. It's there. But what was the problem? Verse 2, but your, your, your iniquities have separated you between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear, unquote. 
God is holy, 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 as we speak about on nearly every podcast. And that's something you're almost never going to hear in preaching today. It is so apostate. Listen, how are people going to understand that they have iniquity and sin that's separating them from God and they have the need, the absolute necessity, it's imperative, the essential to repent if such is not being preached? Okay, that's not revival preaching. So how could there possibly be genuine divine revival if there's no preaching on sin and the absolute necessity of repentance and the holiness of God? That's absolutely apostasy. It was the sin and the iniquities of God's people that hid his face from them and caused God not to hear them when they cried out to him. According to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, you will see this as a theme throughout the Bible. God's people were in need of true repentance, not offering vain worship and staging some so-called revival to get the attention on your ministry. Is the Lord calling, leading anyone to travel to go find a revival? No, God is calling us to travel to our knees travel to the throne of God in repentance and faith, figuratively at least to fall on your knees before God in repentance. It's then that his mighty arm, his strength that is, will be manifested to conquer all of your enemies. Let me say it again as so many moral cowards who sit around waiting for somebody else, somebody other than themselves to start this so-called revival because they refuse to repent themselves. God will start a revival right where you are. He owns the whole earth. You don't have to go find some water to dip your foot into. The book of John shows you don't need to go find some mountain, John 4, to worship God in. You don't have to travel to Florida to some fake revival or to Canada, at Toronto, or now to Asbury in Kentucky. You need to just go to go to the Lord in repentance. Go on a fast. When's the last time you fasted? Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast, Matthew 6, 16. If you're not fasting, I, I, don't, I don't know how it's possible that you're overcoming sin because you don't have the cross in your life. You're fully yourself. And that's why you haven't fasted and lived a fasted life. And that may be the very reason why you're going to go to hell for eternity. Hell is full of people that refuse to push away the plate, raise up holy hands before God and said, I'm done with the sin. Lord, I want your cross to consume me. You must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30. I am dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3 verse 3. Remember Galatians 5.24 says, they that are Christ. This is right after he named 17 specific soul damning sins. Then he says, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. They have. And that's what fasting and prayer, they're always coupled together in the Bible, is all about. Is that you're being crucified with Christ. You're saying, God, I love you more than self. I'm going to worship you. You're my first love. There will be not one idolater in heaven. Not one. Never will. You don't understand the first thing about God 
you don't understand the first thing about his word and what it reveals if you think that anyone is going to go to heaven that has one idol. If you love your wife or your husband, if you love anything or anyone more than Jesus Christ, you, my friend, are as sure for hell as if you were already there. The backslidden Ephesians church was told by Jesus. They were rebuked and said, he said, you have to repent because I'm no longer your first love. But they had other religious stuff going along. They even had some discernment going on. But they had departed from the Lord. He was no longer their first love. Uh, that's Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. If, G, if you aren't loving the Lord, not yourself, but the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you, my friend, are going to burn in hell forever without exception. Have you noticed that most people will do anything except repent, will do anything except deny themselves, pick up the cross and follow Jesus as Jesus prescribed and mandated for anybody that's going to follow him. If you're not learning to, and you're not being crucified with Christ, if you're not, my friend, denying yourself, not promoting and all of these other things and elevating is the word I meant to use, yourself, no, denying yourself, putting God first, taking up your cross daily, that's living the crucified life, you're dead and buried, and Christ is raising you up, then you're not following Jesus. And how do you expect that you're going to go to heaven? You're disobeying him blatantly. Well, brother, I go to church. Jesus didn't say to go to church. He said, follow me. And this is how you do it. You deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow me. Well, brother, but we have to have fellowship. Yeah, you have to have fellowship with him first and foremost. And the Bible never says go to church on Sunday. It says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Okay, that can happen every day. And chances are 90 or more percent of any local church that's based in a building that you go to is not real Bible fellowship, Christian fellowship anyway. It's a bureaucracy. It's a stage show. They want you back as a repeat customer. That's why they're not going to preach repentance and sin. When Jesus preached repentance and sin after he had fed the stomachs of 5,000 plus people in John chapter 6, they turned, when he preached the gospel, they turned and left. John 6 verse 66, Peter turned to him and said, Lord, Jesus said to him, actually Peter and the disciples, he said, will you also leave? And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, where shall, shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So think about the numbers there. There were 12 men that stayed. It seems like there were 5,000 who walked away. They didn't want to endure sound doctrine. That's what the apostle Paul warned us against when he said, preach the word. Gentlemen, if you call to preach, if you're, you, you name the name of Christ, you preach the word. And if you're not in it and learning it, if you're not in the word daily, you're not going to have the word in your heart and out of your mouth to preach. So you must study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of God cannot get into us until we get into it. The Bible says that that's a daily, daily bread is what we're to take in. We're to diligently search the scriptures daily, meditating upon the word day and night. Amen. It's so essential that we realize that God is calling his people to repent. Jesus said that except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 18 verses 3 and 4. 
And so it's important that we realize that when we truly repent, we will preach nothing but God's word. In fact, Paul says, beware lest any man spoil or ruin you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ, Colossians 2, 8 through 10. And dare we become those men who are using philosophy or anything except God's word when we minister and communicate the gospel. In fact, 1 Peter 4.11 says, if any man speak, that is for God, let him speak as of the oracles of God, the written word of God. Get on your face before a holy God and repent. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Second, Timothy 4, beginning in verse 2, preach the word, just preach the word. I often tell the story of how a man, when I was in my 20s, he looked at me. I hadn't been saved long. I was a very uh, eager young Christian, knew the calling was there, was preparing in a long way from being ready, by the way. Anyway, he looked at me one day. It was just him and I, and he pointed it to me and put his finger in my face, and he said, young man, you absolutely preach this gospel exactly like it's written. Do you understand me? And I'm telling you, that's a long time ago. That shot through me like a lightning bolt. And I believe it was a lightning bolt from heaven. Gentlemen, preach the word. Second Timothy 4, 2. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Reprove means to expose the darkness. Do it boldly. Rebuke, rebuke. You're to preach and you're to rebuke. You're to preach, reprove, and you're to rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure or hold themselves accountable to sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they haven't repented. They still, their hearts are still full of lust. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? Unquote. Second Timothy four, two through four. And that's why you have people you're going to find that are driving to Kentucky. They're going to find revival. Why? Because they won't repent. So one of the points being made here is that so many people are willing to go to church on Sunday. You know, it's basically a country club, a church business. They're telling you what you want to hear. You're not hearing scripture about dying to yourself, uh, cutting off the hand, plucking out the eye of any sin that causes you to be defiled in the eyes of a holy God, repentance, judgment to come, etc. You're not hearing anything about the fact that God's holy, 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 and he calls you and I to be holy as he is holy. You know, they're, they're willing to like, pack up the car, go to church, and we're ready to take off work, pack up the car, bring the family to another state across the nation to go seek for this revival. That's this all e- e- elusive revival that's not even real instead of just dying to self, repenting for real, laying down their life and following Jesus right where he has them in the town they live in. They'll do anything but repent. They will do anything but lay down their life and really follow Jesus. And in order to do that, you're going to have to come out from the fake church. The Bible says, Jesus said, come out from them, my people, lest you receive of her plague. See, all you're doing on Sunday morning with these fake fellowships is being confirmed in your sin. That little coward you call pastor isn't calling you to die to self, is he? No. Cease, my son. Proverbs 19, 27. Cease. That means stop it now, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. You're under the influence of a spirit of antichrist. If there's no preaching on repentance, on sin, and on 
denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. See, you're not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You've got a dark cloud over you. You're weighed down in sin because you're not being raised up by Jesus. The only way he's going to raise you up is if you obey him literally practically and die to yourself. You should schedule a day that you're going to fast every week. Okay. You got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but I'm going to go ahead and throw that suggestion out there. Uh, We have a fasting and prayer category that is going to blow you away. You're going to begin as you lay down your life and truly die to yourself, crying out to God to enable you to do that because he's the only one that can enable you to do that. But you know it's his stated will from the preponderance of scripture, Luke, excuse me, Romans 8, 11 through 13. He is going to anoint you by his spirit as you obey him to the burial, death and burial of self, and then raise you up even as he raised up Christ from the dead, Luke, uh, Romans 8, 11 through 14. And you're going to begin to see what it really is to follow Jesus. You're going to see his power teeming in you and working in and through you mightily. The apostle Paul said this about the cross. This is this is according to the estimation of many believers throughout the New Testament era, the most profound cross passage in the Bible. By the way, before I read this, remember we have three books to help you learn this biblical cross. One of them's called I Die Daily. Another one's called uh, Raised Up. And another one is, is called 31 Cross Prayers. You can buy them individually on safeguardyoursoul.com. Click the store button. Or we have like a 20% or so discount if you buy all three of them together. It's going to change your life. Why? Because it's the gospel, the original gospel, the one that they don't preach in the church buildings. And if you don't realize that yet, it's because you're not in the word and therefore the word is not in you. And when you get in the word and you diligently study it every morning, you don't you don't breathe until you got your face in the Bible. A disciple of Jesus is a disciplined follower of Jesus daily, not a church goer. Most church members are sure they're going straight to hell. Okay, that's all they got is their little Sunday morning, uh, go to the circus, the country club, and pay their dues. Uh, They have a form of godliness, but they're full of themselves. Anyone that's not denying themselves, myself included, taking up the cross daily and following Jesus is serving the God of self and is an idolater, period. Notice here, by the way, um, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 10, always notice the cross is daily. In fact, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, uh, that he had to keep under his body, keep it crucified. Keep I keep under my body, lest by any means after I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Then he talks about in the ensuing verses in chapter 10, the five sins, specific sins that kept God's people out of their promised land. This is a specific warning and sandwiched the other book in is verse 12 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. The apostle says that we are to remain vigilant and crucified with Christ. He says, take heed, chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. That's a memory verse. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He, he said that right after he was exposing the five sins that kept God's people out of Israel. And this is an admonition and a warning clearly 
to you and I, okay, that we will miss the promised land of eternal glory if we allow sin to reign instead of the cross. See, either the cross is going to crucify sin out of your life, or sin is going to crucify Christ out of your life. 2 Corinthians 4.10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That should be something we desire, is the life of Christ manifesting in our body. I don't know about you, but we, for me, I'm tired of the sin. I don't want sin in my life. It does nothing good. It brings death. It brings shame. It brings guilt. It brings everything dark and dismal. So we should, as Paul is saying here, desire that Jesus might be made manifest in our body. How's that going to happen? Notice the first part of the verse. You got to have a death and a burial before you can have a resurrection. Let's read it again. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice always always constantly bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. There it is again, the life of Jesus manifesting in your mortal flesh. What a blessing. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure, he says in verse 7, in earthen vessels, the treasure of Christ. And why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But God has to vanquish us through the cross so that he can raise Christ up in us. And that's when the power, the glory, and the grace of God in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost is going to reign in your personal life, beloved. That's the Christian life right there. And that's the only way it can be carried forth. So then, then he finishes. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. When there's the cross in your life, you're dead and buried. The life of Christ is going to work so mightily through your life. You're going to wonder why you didn't learn this message earlier, but thank God that we're hearing the cross message right now in this message together. Notice, there, uh, as I said earlier, there's so many who refuse to repent, okay? They want the gimmicks. They want uh, some kind of a little prescription or principle or gimmick to follow, as long as it doesn't require that they be crucified with Christ. That's why you got all of these eternal security cowards running around. They won't die to self. It's always the common denominator. These are the people Jesus spoke of who love darkness rather than light. If you're still in sin, it's because, and you must admit it, you love darkness. You love self. You don't love the Savior. John 3, 19, 3, 19 through 21. Let me read that to you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Jesus says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil and they're, they're under the divine, they're under divine condemnation. You will be too until you repent. Okay. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. That's why people haven't overcome these sins because they love the darkness. That's why they won't come to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved or made manifest, exposed. You know, I heard of a man recently, he's a very famous man, and had fallen into sin. Any and all of us are going to be in sin if we're not crucified with Christ. Boom! There's no good thing in you or me, Romans 7.18. That's why we must have 
the cross at the center of our personal life. You must get up every day looking for and crying out to God for demotion, demotion. That means downward motion, not elevation, trying to elevate yourself. God will do that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he not you. He will lift you up. James chapter four, verse 10. But many do not want their deeds reproved. Hell's full of people who refuse to repent and they'll be there burning consciously forever. Verse 21, but he that doeth truth, are you a doer of the truth? James 1, but be ye doers, doers, doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own self. If you're not obeying the word of God, you are totally deceived into thinking that you're actually walking with Jesus. You're not. And he's the only way, the truth, and the life, the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. And anyone not following him on his stated terms is going to hell. Doesn't matter how saved they think they are. But he that doeth truth, notice doer. Are you a doer of the word or are you a counterfeit hypocrite? It's one or the other. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Amen. Listen, we all need a time of embarrassment, perhaps. I began saying that there was a man who's a famous man, and he pretty public that he did some sinning. Well, he's not unlike you and me. doesn't matter if it's public or not. God saw it. That's all. That's the only thing that matters. And God saw all my sin. God sees all of your sin, friend. Nothing's hidden from his eyes. Anyway, this man went on record in front of a very large crowd and He said that he was very thankful to God that he got embarrassed, he got exposed, his evil deeds were made manifest, as we just read in John 3, 21, because it really caused him to stop his life and truly repent. Amen. Sometimes getting embarrassed, getting reproved, getting exposed is the best thing that could happen to us. Amen. So like Israel, so many render fake repentance. Have you noticed that? And so how do we know if we've really repented or we're just rendering lip service and fake repentance? Well, there's no change in our lives. John the Baptist said, repent and bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, fruits that demonstrates that you have truly repented. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things, the sins of the past are passed away. And that all things are now of God, not the God of self, the God of the universe who sent his only begotten son to be crucified on that cross to initially and ongoing keep you clean all the way to heaven. That's Jesus Christ. He is the one reigning in the lives of every true believer. And it does. their lives don't need a microscope to try to find God. It's very obvious. If you don't have the fruit of a confession that Jesus Christ washed you in his blood, you are ashamed of him and he's going to be ashamed of you. You don't know him. Depart from me, you cursed in the everlasting fire is what you're getting ready to hear because you're ashamed of him. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father, which is in heaven. So fake repentance is known in that it brings no real change. There's no remorse, conviction, and a turning to God from all sin. There's justification of sin and error in their lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth or tries to hide his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. God does not indiscriminately dish out his 
mercy. And without his mercy, you're going to hell. The mercy of God was poured out at the cross of Christ. And you're going to only get that. You're going to only appropriate that by doing what? By confessing and forsaking it. Forsake it. Repent and bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Repentance is always going to lead to an overcoming life that's set apart to the Lord and is living and breathing to please Jesus Christ. All right, here's another evidence of fake repentance, that you keep on doing the same sin. Also, here's another one. Okay, when people try to get others to agree to justify their sin and the error in their lives, instead of surrounding yourself with Bible-believing Christians who love you enough to rebuke you, to help you own up to the truth of God, who fear God, not you, a true believer doesn't put any person, beginning with his own sinful self, in front of Jesus Christ. And the word of God, which is from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, so I want you to memorize Proverbs 28, 13. Again, it says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Only those who are honest with God are going to be in heaven, Luke 8, 15. They're getting honest with God. They're getting everything cleaned up. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish or sin, but one that is holy and without blemish before him. The end of Ephesians chapter 5. His wife is making herself ready. If you're not making yourself ready to meet Jesus by getting everything that defiles you in his eyes out of your life, you are not his bride. According to the definition that is given in Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 7 through 10. Amen. Uh, 7 through, through 9. We got a message too, by the way, called his wife hath made herself ready. That's scripture right here. His wife hath made herself ready. She is cleansing the white righteousness, if you will, represented by the white garment, the wedding gown of all blemishes, all blemishes. The apostle Paul said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not only be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, that's a divine command. Okay. And that requires repentance, which is the first command of the original gospel, which has never and will never change. We're to perfect holiness and we're to cleanse ourselves from all, not some, all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, we hear so often people talk about, well, there's nobody that doesn't sin and all this stuff. They have nothing but defeat. They have so much faith in defeat instead of in the power of God to deliver them from every and all sin, especially any habitual sinning. And that's only going to come from the cross life. The light, the crucified believer is the only one that God is raising up. God is not going to raise up, resurrect anyone who's not first dead and buried. And that's volitional. You got to lay down your life. And if you're not willing to do that, it's because you're full of self, you love self, and you don't love the Savior, and you're not going to be with him in eternity because you've chosen not to comply with his simple wishes. So in the end of Ephesians 5, we read about how the church, the true body of Christ, is being sanctified and cleansed 
with the washing of water by the word of God. They ingest the word of God daily and it's cleansing them and they're being conformed to the image of Christ through it. Just like we read in Psalm 1, their roots are planted in Christ and they continually get deeper and deeper. They have chosen to abide in Christ after being born again and are bearing fruit more fruit and much fruit by the that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, that vital union with Christ. John chapter 15, I want you to make that your study place this week or one of them. John chapter 15, which Jesus is speaking about the necessity of abiding in him. That means remaining and continuing in, in him and with him all the way to the end on his stated terms. Remember, Jesus said, only those that endure to the end shall be saved. He told his own 12 that, Matthew 10, 22 and 24, 13. Amen. Deep calleth unto deep, Psalm 42, 7. And then it says that he's going to present this body of believers. And it's a small remnant, according to Jesus himself. He said, it's a little flock. The father's flock is a little flock. You know, only eight souls were saved in the days of Noah. Some estimates have it that there were 10 million people on the earth at that time. Anywhere between one and 10 million is the estimates on the progression of the human race and its growth at that time. And only eight souls chose to be saved in that ark. Jesus is our ark. And it's sadly a small percentage that really want to do things God's way. You know, God told Noah to specifically do he told him how to do that ark, and it had to be specifically. It must. It, it had to be to the specifications, that exact specification that God gave him. And Noah was obedient. He built his life on the solid rock of loving God and adhering to exactly what he said. He didn't lean to his own understanding. He wasn't wise in his own conceit. He didn't think he knew better than God. Unbelievable how arrogant and stupid we can be. But you'll find this pattern throughout Scripture. You find that David was a man after God's own heart. He did things God's way. Saul, his contemporary, chose to do things his way, his own way, instead of God's, and God dethroned him. In fact, he told him he was full of rebellion, and that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Perhaps somebody listening to me, you're doing things your own way. Why? Because you haven't repented. You you, you need to repent. Okay, we got a page on safeguardyoursoul.com called Fresh Start with God. It's in the menu bar. Fresh Start with God. And Jesus taught that except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Repentance in the divine economy is absolutely an imperative, a necessity for God to show mercy on anyone. You must admit that you've sinned against God and fall on his mercy which was poured out at the cross through the blood of a lamb. So, again, I want you to memorize this. Luke 13, 3, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so we must ask, how can sinners be getting saved at any so-called revival when repentance from sin and turning to God is not even being mentioned, much less preached? Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, it's recorded, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. And so what does it take to repent? Do we need to get on a plane or in our vehicle and drive to a so-called revival? The Bible says the word of God, that is, it's available to all of us. We all have a Bible. We won't read and obey. So we're going to go try to get a chill bump or some feeling at a revival, so-called revival meeting. 
at a revival where in most cases there's no preaching on the cross or repentance from sin and turning our lives over and putting our faith fully in Jesus Christ. No preaching on the cross and on holiness, the holiness of God and how he commanded us to be holy for I am holy. He also said, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12 Verse 14. So the Word of God is right there with us. We have it in print form. The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Paul says here, Romans 10, 8, he's taking that from Deuteronomy, uh, where God said, His Word is nigh thee. You have His Word, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Uh, you, you know enough to repent. That is the Word of faith which we preach. So it's time for us to buck up, if you will, and own up to the original gospel, which begins with the command to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have rep- faith toward God and repentance toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it is Acts chapter 20, verse 21. And that doesn't take relocating yourself to another state or geographical location. God's presence is in his earth everywhere. The glory of the Lord fills the earth so we can call on the lord right now his arm is not short uh, it's our sins that have prevented the blessing of god and the power of god to give us deliverance and victory in fact in the book of jeremiah the lord told his people that your sins have withholden good things from you so everything in the divine economy begins with repentance and so if somebody is uh perpetrating this idea that they have a revival going on, the first thing you need to ask as a good Berean believer, Acts 17, 10, and 11, as you examine the doctrine that they're preaching is, are they preaching on sin and repentance? If not, how how are they going to hear without a preacher to preach the original gospel and the cardinal doctrines, beginning with the fact that we've all sinned against God and we must repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ? and follow him by way of the cross. The divine economy is a cross economy. God's terms are the cross. We must follow Jesus on his stated terms, and his stated terms are the cross. Jesus said, if any man is going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus is going to present to himself a glorious church, a glorious church. Not have, and what does that glorious church look like? Listen to this. When's the last time your pastor preached on this? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, no spot of sin, no defilement in that garment. Okay, remember this right here, this passage, along with Revelation 19, as I just quoted earlier a little bit, and also in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, the parable of the 10 virgins that Jesus gave. We see Jesus depicted in his teachings and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 25, Ephesians 5, Revelation 19. I want you to go into those and study that and get the picture of Scripture. The illustration is that Jesus is the bridegroom. We are his bride. And in the the parable of the ten virgins, only five made it into the eternal bridal chamber with the great bridegroom. They were all, ten of them were engaged to Jesus. Paul said that we're espoused to Christ. We're not married to him yet. We're not married to him. It's not consummated yet until we get to heaven with the great supper of the Lamb. 
Matthew 22, I believe also Revelation 19 speaks of that. What a, what a day that's going to be. Those things are pale in comparison with the great supper of the Lamb. Don't miss it for this world. Okay, so who's going to be there? Uh, the bride that Jesus is gloriously preparing. Verse 27 here, by the washing of water, by the word. Ephesians 5, 26 through 28. They don't have spot or wrinkle. They're not allowing any sin to remain in their life. Somebody said, well, you don't have any sin. No, why would I? I got 1 John 1, 9, man. Talking to you as a friend, as a brother. If I've got sin in my life, it's because what? I didn't take it to the Father and confess it. Turn to him afresh. Then his spirit fills your life and gives you the power to overcome it. That's why there's a throne of grace where you receive mercy for your sin. And what? What else? Grace to help in time of need. The grace of God is his divine influence on your heart. It is the power, the operational divine power of God and a divine enablement of God to cause you to overcome. There are sins I used to commit that I don't even think about anymore. Many of you listening to me testify of the same. Most of you, I'm sure, are way ahead of me in this. But I can only testify for, to, to the great things God will do if we just do things his way. You know, this whole message is summed up in just do it God's way, not your own way. You got to choose. I'm going to say, let God be true and every man a liar with Paul. We're lying to ourselves. The Bible says, whatsoever man soweth, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, we're talking about true repentance. That's really our message today. Doesn't take long to spot a false revival, does it? No. If they're not preaching repentance, boom, it's false. Boom, it's false. Irrefutably, absolutely, doornail dead, false. And anybody who believes it's true needs to get right and needs to get in the word of God. Repent is the first command of the gospel. And that's never going to change. But you're never going to hear that unless you get in the Bible yourself or listen to the few people. And there are that, praise God, and they're organic, by the way. They're not commercialized and have some big church gathering. Why? People don't want to follow that. I mean, 5,000 men left Jesus. What do, they, what do you think they're going to do? Think they're going to stick around to hear you preach repentance? No, nothing's changed. If you tell them what they want to hear and you withhold the stinger doctrines, the hard sayings of Jesus and the apostles, that's when you build a big church, a thriving church, quote unquote thriving, thriving with what? Money and sin and greed and covetousness. And the Bible says that a, a covetous man who is an idolater hath no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. None. Ephesians 5. They're lusting after the things of this world. The scripture says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4, 4. If any man be a friend of the world, he is the enemy of God. Repent. Turn back to God now before it's too late. So this glorious Savior is going to present to himself a glorious church. And what does that look like? It has no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and what? Without blemish. Wow. But brother, I don't want to hear the but brother stuff. Just go before God honestly, confess your sins, let him cleanse you and change your life. Pray uh, Psalm eighty-six, eleven every day. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Lord, fill us with your fear in the name of Jesus, because you said the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Amen. In Jesus' name, that's Proverbs fourteen twenty-seven. Okay, so we're talking about fake revivals 
doesn't even have to be the Asbury revival. Most of these commercialized so-called revivals are absolutely fake. On that, that we don't even need to go any further, other than they're not preaching repentance. Therefore, they're not. They're preaching another gospel and not repentance. And so they're absolutely accursed. According to Galatians chapter one, verse six or nine, they are accursed. What? Yep, that's what he said. They're accursed. Okay, you don't believe that. You're calling God a liar. Jesus' apostle Paul says that they are absolutely accursed. Read it for yourself. They're accursed. All right, let's look at Isaiah 66. And verse 2, 1 and 2, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? Is it in Kentucky? Is it in Toronto? Is it in some revival in Florida? No, here it is. For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man, here it is, this, this man will I look, even to him, that is uh, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That's who God looks to. As the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole world, uh, earth, looking for a man to whom he can show himself strong through. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The man that what? Is poor in spirit and has a contrite heart and trembleth at his word. He obeys God. He takes God at his word. He lives like his life depends on the word of God and obeying it. And that is the absolute truth. Jesus said, anybody who does not hear and obey God's word is building his house on sand. It's going to be washed away in the judgment and it's going to go down into hell. Only those who build on the rock, only those who Dig deep, Jesus said. You got to dig deep. You got to get all the mud out of your life. You and I, all of the mud, all of the mud okay, that stands between between you where you're standing on the earth and the bedrock that's several feet under the ground. That's the only house you can build with a solid foundation against the judgment to come. As Paul's talked about in First Timothy chapter 6. Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why are you calling me Lord and you don't obey me? You know, I'm not your Lord. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, here's the word, and doeth them. There it is again. Do, you got to obey the word of God or you're not his. Remember Jesus said, quote, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth, doeth the word, the will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. Matthew seven twenty one. So whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and doeth them, ah, he's obedient. He loves the Lord truly. Anybody else is just a hypocrite. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house on a rock and digged deep. Okay, when you go to lay a foundation to build a house, you got to dig deep. You got to go down to the rock. In New Orleans, where I grew up, the water table is so high. Uh, as a kid, you know, you you dig into the ground like literally two or three inches with a shovel in your backyard, and it fills up with water. Many of you understand that. You Louisiana people, maybe some of you Florida people. Okay, so what did it have to do? They have to drive pilings like telephone poles way down into the earth. Many of you probably have never seen that happen because you live in a place where it's, you know, the bedrock is right there. You're walking around on it all day long. Not in Louisiana where the, the water table is so high and the elevation is sea level. So they drive these pilings down into earth to hit solid rock or ground 
And that's the only way they can build a house. Otherwise, that house is going to topple. It's going to sink. It's going to, the foundation is going to crack. Okay, and that's the picture he's given us here. And he gives us an illustration we can all, at least to some degree, relate to. Because he wants us to get a picture in this illustration. So the man that is uh, building his, living his life correctly is building his house on a rock. And he's, he's digging deep, getting rid of all the mud, all the things that don't belong in his life. Uh, he's laying the foundation on the rock. That's Christ is our rock, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And when the floods rise, in this case, arose, the stream beat vehemently or strongly upon that house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. And when the storms of the great tribulation hit us very soon, they're already starting to hit us. And the storm of the judgment of God, not only here, but when we stand before him, we're going to stand strong only on Christ, not because we're anything, but because we admitted before God, honestly, while on earth, that we're weak and he is strong. Amen. We're wicked and he's wonderful. And we relied on him. That's what repentance is. It's not some thing where you got to work through it and strain to do it. No, you're basically saying, I'm guilty, God. I'm wicked. There's no good thing that dwells in me. I can't overcome this. I need you. And you just fall into his lap. You just fall on the mercy of God and cry out to Jesus to take over. That's what God's trying to get us to do today, afresh. But then he says, last verse here, Luke 6, 49, but he that heareth and doeth not, those that hear the word of God and don't do it, they're like a man that without a foundation built his house upon the, the earth against which the stream did ve beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Okay, so as we come in for a landing, remember, true repentance always, 100% of the time, results in a changed life. And wherever repentance is not being preached and holiness and sin and conviction of sin and the fear of God and hell and judgment to come and the daily crucified life and cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith like that, it's absolutely false. And so that's why we can conclude that this lame so-called Asbury, quote-unquote, revival is just another fake revival. It's nothing about sanctification. You know the term roll over in the grave? Yeah, John Wesley would roll over in the grave. You can bet on that if he saw what is being pawned off as the gospel. They don't even use the word gospel, probably. It, it, it's so lame, it's not even describable. You can go watch it on YouTube. They want revival, so many, but they don't want repentance. They want the crown, but they don't want the cross. Nothing's new. That's how it's always been. They want the dollar, but they don't want to die. Beware, saints. The only thing that stands between you and true divine resurrection grace is your own repentance, the laying down of your life, the dying and being buried, so that he who is the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ, John eleven twenty five, was raising you up and raising your life up every day as you live a crucified life. It's then that you will be raised up. He's going to raise you up, not yourself. He's going to revive your life. No need to try to go try to find the presence of God or so-called so revival. Beware, folks, of the constant gimmicks that are not going to stop until Jesus comes and destroys every one of those who are pulling the levers behind these curtains to, to stage these fake revivals. The principle is no different than the clickbait videos are throwing things up on social media to get clicks and likes and followers. This is the same thing. 
That's what they're doing. These ministries are doing to get people, to get attention, to get dollars, to attract traffic and repeat customers. Most people refuse to repent and will do anything except repent. Yet they want to simply drive somewhere where there's supposedly a revival transpiring. The last time people had to be in one specific place to, quote, receive power from on high was on the day of Pentecost when the church was born in the end of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. But it was Christ who organized that. I don't think we see any place in scripture where Paul or Peter or John or Jesus are saying, hurry up, you know, get get to moving. Go to this town over here and hurry up. There's a revival happening. Don't miss it. I wonder if that connects with what Jesus said, at least principally, when in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 23, Jesus said, quote, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Okay, so uh, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Or he's in, he's in Kentucky at Asbury. He's at Toronto. He's in Florida. No, he says, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Fill in the blank as far as desert goes. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it night not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and sh- shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You're, nobody's going to miss his coming. And you can have his presence right where you are if you'll simply obey him by humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord and letting him lift you up and filling you. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they, 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 those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they're going to be filled. Jesus did not say, jump in your car when you hear about a revival and drive to a certain location and then you're going to be filled. No. He said, if you'll hunger and thirst after my righteousness, you're going to be filled. I'm going to fill you. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. That brings to mind John chapter 14 where Jesus tells us some of the same thing here. It's amazing. Beginning in verse 21. He that hath my command, those that have the word of God, hath my commandments and keepeth them, those that have the word of God and obey the word of God. He it is, he it is, he it is, those that have and obey the word of God, that loveth me. Nobody else loves Jesus except those that have and obey his word. And he that, somebody says, well, brother, you know, it's always going to be excuses. That's because you're not living a crucified life and uh, you're not taking time to study the word of God. Get it in you and obey it. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. There it is. There's the revival we need. Jesus is going to revive, uh, visit us and manifest himself to us. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode in him. That's the resurrection blessing of those who are willing to surrender in death and burial. Jesus says, verse 21, he's going to manifest himself to those that obey him. And that would, at the forefront, mean obeying the cross message that he gave to be dead and buried. And he's going to be raising you up. Then he says, the father and Jesus said, are going to come to you and make their abode. They're going to abide with you. They're going to camp out with you, man. How many people like that idea? That's amazing. 
many of you know, this exposure of this Asbury revival, so-called, has just sparked an absolute firestorm of people coming out of the woodworks to defend this garbage. But what what are they really defending? They, they, here's what it is, I, I believe. It's clear. Listen, they, they want to believe that you know, it's kind of like somebody who gains all this weight because they don't exercise and they overeat, and then they want to go to the suction doctor and just suck it out. So they walk out of there 50 pounds heavier. But is that really good for them? No, not at all. Health-wise, it's not good for them. And even more psychologically and spiritually, it's not right for them because what it's doing is telling them there could be a quick fix, that they don't have to pay the price, they don't have to reap what they sowed, uh, and so they're not learning anything and they're going to get fat again because they didn't learn anything in the process. They don't have to, uh, they don't have something they can look back on like a journey and go, that was a lot of hard work. I'm glad I've lost that weight through working out and eating right. And uh, they're not going to go back at that point because they just feel too good and they know how hard it, uh, it is to get back out of that hole once they have dug it for themselves. This is such a generation that are pure in their own eyes, but they're not washed from their filthiness, according to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. So God wants to bless all of his children, his true children. Uh, I think we're dealing with a lot of counterfeits here, actually, but uh, his true children are blessed by him no matter where they are. In fact, Proverbs 3.33 says that he blesseth the habitation of the just uh, in other words, he blesses anywhere the just, those that are justified and truly his remnant disciples. He blesses them no matter where they are. So Joshua 1.3, wherever the soles of your foot tread upon, I have given you. He's talking to his own people who have repented and they're abiding in Christ and they're living uh, in a vital union with the Lord, according, worshiping and loving him supremely as the first love of their lives. Okay, so not just in some so-called church-designated church building, which is a fraud in itself, uh, somewhere out in the by and by, but everywhere you are, God wants to bless you. That's what Jesus taught, John 14, 21 through 23. He, he didn't say, if you travel to a certain place, me and the Father are going to camp out with you. No, he said, if you hear my words, you worship and you love me, we're going to camp out with you, man. We're setting up camp in that person's life. That's what you call revival, okay? And that person is dying to death. They're living a crucified life. God is not going to raise up anybody because they travel to a certain building in Kentucky, Florida, Toronto. It's totally false revivals, 100% proven, debunked every one of them. God's not going to raise you up because you go in there and you get this little feeling like some little emo pansy. I tell you, most of these guys defending this stuff are men. Does that tell you something about the generation of men we got, these spineless gutless moral cowards you got to be kidding me man why are they defending it why don't they ever interact when scripture upon scripture is posted every day all day long on that same social media platform but boy they come out of the woodworks to defend this idea that this is a true revival i just know it you provided no proof there's hundreds of hours at least of video footage and nobody's going through the Bible. Boom. On that basis alone, it's false. Absolutely false. 
He that is of God, Jesus said, here's God's words. When when the body of Christ, the Israelites got together in Nehemiah 8, what was the uh, format? They The elders stood up and they read the Bible distinctly and then gave the sense of the Bible. It was all scripto, uh, scripture-centric, we could say, centered on, grounded in, coming out of, eyes on the word, God forbid, that's almost unheard of today in any so-called church. You're better off staying home on Sunday morning, drinking your coffee in your pajamas, and just getting rich in the Word. Amen. The Bible says, let the Word of Christ, the Word of Christ, God's Word, dwell in you richly, means abundantly. You're not going to get that in these local churches. It's it, The full-blown apostasy is upon us. It's been coming for a long time. And if you're just seeing it now, well, thank God, better late than never. Better late than never. Anybody who truly repents, gets in the Word of God, is walking with Jesus, is going to have little enough, nothing in common with the apostate modern church world. So you see, God wants to fill us with His Spirit. He wants to team in us, T double E M. He wants to, to lift us upward as our lives are laid down and we're crucified with Him tasting and seeing daily that the Lord is good. He wants to empower you, my friend, by his amazing grace as he propels you and uplifts you forward in his joy. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And listen to this. Remember this verse? It is Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the Feel shall clap their hands. I mean, what a picture. Nobody can make a picture, an, an illustration with words better than God can. Amen. And he preserved his word for us in the King James Bible. But notice the verse before that, which we're all familiar with. But let's read them together. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now notice there's no thing, nothing in there that says, oh, my word is going to work. It's never going to return void. Oh, but only if you're in a certain building and some faraway location on my planet, because somehow my arm is short and I can't quite reach where you are. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, <laughs> tells us blatantly and straight out that God's arm's not shortened. It's your sins that have caused you to be in the place you're at, and it separated you from God and diminished and taken his blessings out of your life. It's your sin. It's your fault. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, but every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You did it. I did it. According to James 4, the Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the only way you're going to get the devil out of your life is when you repent and submit your life to God in repentance. And then and only then is Satan, he, he has no more foothold. The only thing that gives him the foothold and the influence and the control over your life is your own sin. And that's going to be the case until you truly repent before God, lay down your life, and you live crucified life. There are no shortcuts, friends. Going up to Toronto or Florida or Kentucky or some other 
fake revival location is not going to change anything for you other than it's going to lower your bank account and it's going to further perpetuate you in your delusion. So he's looking for his people to repent and trust him, lay down their lives, not to travel to attempt to find God. I mean, by the way, I mean, they're not even doing a good job at Asbury of faking anything, be honest with you. It, it couldn't be more lame. That's that's my take on it. See, God's not hiding. He simply isn't revealing himself to the casual seekers. He requires that we repent right where we are. Refreshing revival are going to follow. Acts 3.19, when you repent, the Bible says he's going to refresh you. The times of refreshing are going to come to your life from the presence of the Lord. Okay, saints, biblically, we must keep in mind that God is not available to the casual seeker. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, those who pretend or intend upon serving God, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of who? Of those that diligently seek him. And that means according to his prescription, which is the daily cross. Remember, Jesus said we're to pray that the Father would give unto us daily bread. So seeking God and walking with Jesus, he made it something that is daily. He quantified that when he said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus is not the first love of anyone who casually thinks they are going to have a relationship with him, treating the Son of God as if he is a second-class citizen, and then they think they can just dart off to a new location where supposedly there's a revival and get their little fix. That's not how the kingdom of Christ works. And anyone going there to try to get in the presence of God is absolutely, at best, shallow. And many of them, and probably most, are absolute counterfeits. Not one person who is going there is being led by the Holy Spirit of God. It's now been blown up in our face and revealed that this is all a Catholic ecumenical movement. They are having daily Catholic Eucharist there. And you know what that means? That means they're re-sacrificing Jesus because that's what the Eucharist of the Catholic pagan cult is all about. Go look it up. Okay, so God is not available to the casual seeker. He's only a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord made that clear, that he's only uh, available to those who diligently seek him. He said, knowing and walking with him is a daily thing of hungering and thirsting after his righteousness and thereby being filled. First Chronicles 28, 9, if If, notice if, it's a condition, thou seek him, he will be found of you. God gives the promise that if we do seek him with all our heart, we're going to be found or he's going to be found of us. He is going to reveal himself to us. If we seek him, he will be found of thee. I will be found, he will be found of thee. So God's not trying to make it impossible, but he didn't say anything about going to some building where there's a supposed revival. You seek God right where he has you right now. Notice the conditions of God, including his presence abounding in our lives, which we should all desire to be consumed with. They're conditional. Notice Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Notice a lot of people just read the first verse. Notice, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, that then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me, 
and I will hearken unto you, and, and ye shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Notice, when you search for me with all your heart, that's when you're going to find me and not before. So nobody needs to take some trip out of state to go try to get God to dump himself on them when they're unrepentant, dark-hearted. He's not going to, he's not, God is not going to anoint a slop bucket, as somebody once put it. I got to love that. God's not going to anoint you. You got sin in your life. You need to be crucified with Christ, circumcised in heart, and stripped of all your evil. And that's going to be a process that begins today when you cry out to God in fresh repentance. So 13, verse 13, Jeremiah 29, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. In other words, I'll set you free. I'll deliver you. I will bless you. That's the consistent message of God's word. Also, we see in First Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. Amen. I want you to memorize that. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. Okay, one more scripture on that topic, that topic concerning how God is not available to everyone. He's only available to those who diligently seek him. He is not available to the casual seeker. And that's all people uh, are who are going to try to go to a building to get God's presence instead of going into the prayer closet and beginning there in repentance and laying their life before the Lord. Notice Matthew 6, 6, but thou, this is Jesus. He says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, close yourself off to every other human being, shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Hallelujah. So many other verses that pertain to and feed into and reveal this truth that God's not available to casual seeker. He only blesses those who diligently seek him with his presence. Going to New York, going to Canada, going to Florida, going to Kentucky, going to China, going to Hawaii. None of that's going to help you. That's a big waste of time and money. Right where you are, God's calling you to repent and put your faith in him and, and fresh repentance and let him cleanse you with the refreshing waters of his spirit and word and uh, fill your life and use you in a mighty way right where you are beloved that's where revival is when you die and you're buried christ is going to raise you upward and that right there friends is a divine anointing and revival okay i'm going to read you a verse from hosea chapter 10 verse 12 that you're never going to hear these false prophets ever preach to you or get you familiar with notice there are no shortcuts with god saints they, there must be repentance and a dying to self a laying down your life i love hosea 10 12 it has absolutely changed my life for decades now and i believe it's going to do the same for you hosea 10 12 so to yourselves in righteousness reap in mercy break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. As I've already said, there are no shortcuts. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he come and rain righteousness upon you. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice. In their spirit, out of their hearts, and in the truth, the word. For not not being led by anything but the Holy Spirit, 
and your own heart in the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp to your feet and a light into your path. Not some circus conductor or group of circus conductors conducting a 24-hour praise and worship, which we don't see in the Bible, especially not in the New Testament. So I don't know why people get impressed by that. Seems like a big stage show, a big lure to get people to think it's authentic. Man, pray and go to sleep. God will be a whole lot more glorified. So he says, when the true worshipers, the time's coming, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God's not seeking for anybody to get in their car and go drive to some fake revival. No, you can meet him right where you are by bearing your heart to him through his truth, in spirit and in truth, seeking his face. God is a spirit and they that worship him Okay, God's not a physical location. He's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so Jesus, listen, God's glory fills the whole earth, the scripture says. Examples of how the Lord tells us that his earth is uh, his handiwork and full of his goodness, his riches, and his glory are found throughout scripture, throughout the book of Psalms and Isaiah. That's what God says. He's all over the earth. He doesn't need you to go to some specific location where there's a supposed revival going. He's not looking for you to do that, friend. He's looking for you to just admit that you have not sought his face with a whole heart and that you've been serving the God of self. And that's why you're filled with the dismal results of shame and guilt and worry and admit to him that idolatrous sin that you have committed spiritual adultery, and that you are repenting before him and crying out to him for his grace, his mercy, and to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ afresh. Okay, friends, I want to encourage you before we close here, we're going to pray here in just a moment to follow the podcast. We're dropping a new podcast on the any major podcast platform, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, etc. got just after a few months. 70,000 downloads. That's really been going well. So I want to encourage you to follow it. It'll give you a notification. And uh, this will help you to be edified by the Word of God. That's all we want to do is feed the sheep of Christ and uh, also help them to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, John 21, 15 through 17, etc. Feed my sheep. And we'll the only thing we want to do ever in feeding people is give them the Word of God. According to the example of Nehemiah 8.8, we read the Word of God itself and give the sense thereof, line upon line, precept upon precept, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's the Word with the Word. Okay, Ezekiel, before we pray, Ezekiel 18.30-32. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. God is going to judge his people, as Scripture says, over and over in the Old and New Testament. Everyone, according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent in light of judgment. What do you do? You get in your car and drive to a revival. No, you repent right where you are. This ought to be a relief. A lot of people wasting a lot of money and time running after something that doesn't exist. It's the counterfeit. It's the counterfeit. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, all of them. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. I'm going to read that again, verse 30 of uh, Ezekiel 18. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. Why? So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. 
Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you. We have no access outside of Jesus Christ, our Savior, to you, Father, but we do have full access to your throne of grace. Will we obtain mercy and find grace to help in need when we come through the blood in the name of Jesus Christ? Please have your way in this life, O God, that you gave. You gave me the breath of life. You made us, O God, and for which I will give full account. Touch the deepest part, the core of my innermost being today with the gift of true repentance and brokenness, O God, and contrition. Break me, Jesus. Please break me. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Write this very instant, if never before, I confess you, Lord Jesus, as the Master, the Savior, the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. And then you were buried and raised again from the dead. And I know you're coming back soon for your people. From this moment forth, I shall walk with you, dear Lord Jesus. Please fill me afresh right now with your Holy Spirit and use me, Lord Jesus. I'm all yours from now on. And I know that you're all mine. I love you, Jesus. And Father, we pray this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcast on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with uh, uh, several, many books on there for your uh, edification in Christ. They're all scripture rich and Christ centered. Also tens of thousands uh, of saints and sinners are being reached every month. And uh, your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit uh, our donate page on the site. And uh, uh, you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach uh, is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and uh, all over the world. And uh, may God be praised that uh, there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together, In the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.